following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Today's Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, and verses 14 to 17. I will give you a moment to look this up in your Bibles. Starting from verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Verses 14 When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening. If I'm an unfamiliar face, my name is Brandon and I'm part of the staff team here at St. Nick's and I'm also a student at the university. Um, let me add my welcome to that of Claire's and just thank you for being uh, here this evening. Uh, you've shown up in the midst of a pandemic, a national lockdown, a global unrest, and a time where the sun has just decided to give up at four in the afternoon. Unfortunately, the days are just going to get darker and darker, <laughs> but we are here because uh, we are in need of hope, or perhaps we simply need a reminder of the hope we already have. So let's start by turning to God in prayer and confessing our need of some hope. <sighs> Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening weary and in need of some hope. Speak through your word again and teach us about your tenderness and the compassion you are ever willing to show your children. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear and hearts to obey your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Uh, I have this uh, little mark on my left index finger. Uh, it's, it's too small for you to say, it's rather unimpressive, but uh, it's a little scar I got when I was a kid. I was... Uh, cutting something and I, you know, kind of holding it. And then as I was cutting, the knife uh, slipped and the point went right into my finger. And it hurt uh, quite a lot. But fortunately, there was no blood and there's nothing, nothing really happened. Uh, the only thing I got is uh, this little scar uh, and a renewed sense that I need to be a bit more careful with knives. Uh, but it, it's funny because I'll be going through my day and I'll look at my hand and I'll see the mark and it'll remind me of that silly story 
when I accidentally stabbed myself. Uh, and you too likely have some scars and some probably interesting and very gross uh, stories to go along with them. But we can recognize that scars and wounds that, and the wounds that create them don't just have to be physical. Childhood experiences, traumatic events, painful memories, uh, these can all create emotional wounds and scars. And just like me, you too likely have some emotional scars. What can be difficult to discover, however, is that we have more wounds than scars. And a particular painful experience is what, uh, is when what we thought had been healed turns out needed a bit more time. You thought that mistake or those feelings, that, that hurt was behind you, I mean, it was years ago, right? It's in the past, you're over it. But then something happens. Somebody says something, uh, an offhand comment, you know, they didn't mean it or anything, but you, your heart started pounding. Uh, you tensed up, your mind was racing and probably experiencing an overload of emotions. You, you wanted to yell, to swear, to cry, to lash out, to curl up in a ball all at the same time, but you couldn't because, you know, you were at the school gate dropping off uh, your kid, or you were in Tesco's or on the eighth Zoom call of the day. That old wound you, th you had thought was healed is actually leaking through your shirt. Its pain is seeping into your life and everyone can see it. And as a society, I think we are getting better at asking the deeper questions, but I think we still have a tendency to worry more about changing our shirt than to tending our wounds. You see, it's easier to, to change a shirt, to pretend like everything's okay and that we have it all together because the alternative is that we own up to our weakness, face our frailty and acknowledge that we need some help, that we need some hope, that we need some healing. This evening, our passage is about just that. A man in need of healing comes to Jesus, and he leaves with his life transformed. One of the points I believe this story can make, and the one I want to explore a bit more tonight, is this. We have wounds, some of them very painful. But rather than, rather than them being a source of shame or exclusion, they can be transformed into stories of grace that tell of how Jesus has healed and saved you. So with that, let's turn our attention to Matthew 8 and jump into our passage. So we continue in the Gospel of Matthew and find ourselves with Jesus coming down the mountain. Uh, he's just delivered an absolute fire sermon, uh, creatively called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but like Moses receiving the Torah on Mount Sinai, Jesus teaches the crowd about the kingdom of God and what it means to live as God's children in it. The crowds that had gathered to listen were astounded because they saw something was different. This man had authority. So as Jesus is coming down the mountain, suddenly a man with leprosy runs up to him and throws himself at Jesus' feet. And he cries out, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You can almost imagine the silence that follows. Jesus and the crowd that were following are forced to stop in front of this man. What will Jesus do? If this was a movie, uh, the camera would be, you know, flitting around to different shots of people looking and waiting, and we would be watching from the crowd. 
You see, this leprosy was a serious issue, but not for the reasons uh, you think. It wasn't the type of leprosy that we think of today, you know, the, the flesh-eating skin disease called uh, Hansen's disease. Um, now, instead, in Jesus' world, this leprosy is shorthand for several uh, minor, non-threatening uh, skin diseases. You know, think of like eczema or psoriasis. Uh, it's understood as a ritual impurity, as opposed to either a medical or a moral condition. Okay, it's going to get uh, very nerdy and uh, slightly technical for like two minutes. Can you give me? Can you give me two minutes? I will take your silence as a yes. Uh, now, in, in what I assume is also your favorite book of the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus outlines much of these ritual codes that inform Jesus' worldview. Uh, I'll briefly summarize that. Uh, there are holy things and profane things, uh, right? The Sabbath is holy, but Sunday through Friday are profane. Now, there's nothing morally wrong uh, with Sunday through Friday. They just aren't holy like Saturday. But there's another binary, uh, pure and impure, uh, or to be read clean or unclean. Now, this binary can be mapped on to the first. So what is holy can be either pure or impure. So, for example, a high priest who is considered holy and set apart from the rest of Israel can be either pure or impure. There are certain actions that the priests can do which would make him pure or impure. Some of these can be moral. Uh, so, you know, if he murdered someone, which is generally frowned upon in the ancient world as it is now, uh, he would become impure. But he could also come across a dead body. Uh, which is not a sin, it's not in a moral category, uh, and that corpse would contaminate him, and he would become impure. And as specified in what I assume is your second favorite book of the Bible, the book of Numbers, uh, he would be unclean for seven days, and then he would wash himself, and then he'd become pure again. Uh, it's very easy, and he'll get to carry on with his priestly duties. No problems. Some of this might sound a bit strange, uh, especially in our very cultured and sophisticated society, you know, which we can easily count, you know, election votes and opt to feed children lunch during half term. But, uh, but here's the crucial thing to understand. Ritual impurity for ancient Israel and in, in the days of Jesus was a matter of life and death. The God of creation and of life itself has chosen to dwell in the midst of Israel. This holy God was moving into the neighborhood, and there was going to be some guidelines. There could be nothing impure in his presence. Uh, it's like oil and water, they just don't mix. The logic behind what was considered impure was that these impurities represented death. And this is most obvious in the laws about uh, coming into contact with a corpse. The death would spread, right? And you didn't want that. So if if uh, the holy and the impure did mix, however, one of two things would happen. God's holiness would sort of break out and consume what is impure, which would be very bad news. Uh, but even worse than that, God might choose to leave. Sure, Israel would be saved, but they would be cut off from God, the source of life. In his mercy, though, God gave Israel the law to make sure that neither of those things would happen. So for the sake of the community and the continued blessing of, the, of God's presence, those who became ritually impure would leave the camp or, or the city, 
and it's not too far off from what we would call self-isolating. Their isolation would ensure that the impurity did not spread to other people. And once they were cleared by the priests, uh, they could return to community life. And while there are some very tempting analogies uh, with COVID and our experiences with it, uh, it's important to remember that it's, a, it's not about a medical illness, but about ritual impurity. All right. How was that? Let's come up for air. Um, next time you're at a very fancy soiree uh, in the next decade or so, uh, you can just wow your friends with that knowledge of ritual impurity in the ancient Near East. Uh, speaking from experience, they will not be impressed. Uh, but returning to the silence between the leper's cry and Jesus' response, I think we can better understand what's happening and what's at stake. Though we are not told how long he had been a leper, the exasperation in his voice communicates that it's been a very long and lonely time. Though his family told him it, it would just be a couple of weeks, a month tops, those months dragged on. And just when he thought it was getting better, uh, you know, his skin was clearing up, it came back worse than before. This the man's leprosy would not only exclude him from community life, but religious life as well. He wouldn't have been able to go up to the temple for worship. How many Sabbaths had he missed? How many holy days and festivals? And back then he couldn't, you know, just watch the service online. You know, there were no weekly quiz nights or prayer evenings. There was none. There was none of this. But look again at what the leper has said. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice that he doesn't ask Jesus to heal him or ask Jesus if he's able to heal him. No, his question is not about capability, but about character. Is Jesus willing to make him clean? Does God still care? The man's wounds, it appears, are more than skin deep. It's not about the leprosy, really. It's that he feels forsaken by God and abandoned by his community. You can imagine that his experience and isolation begins to shape and warp his self-perception. He's not getting any better because, well, that's just who he is. Unclean unworthy of love, ugly. I deserve to be this lonely and punished this way. And on top of these lies comes shame, and with shame comes hiding. And if you really knew what was going on in my life, if you really knew my secret, there's no way that either you or God could ever love me. We return to the silence of the moment. We watch with the crowds, holding our breath to see what will happen next. The event unfolds in slow motion as Jesus stretches out his hand and touches the man. He says, I am willing, be clean. In this intimate moment, Jesus confronts his wounds. He cleanses him from his ritual impurity by purifying the source. This man is no longer a leper. But by saying, I am willing, he heals him of that deeper wound, that this man is no longer forsaken, for God has shown his love for him. What is amazing about this exchange is that the man's impurity should have contaminated Jesus by his touch. 
but that's not what happened. It was actually the, the opposite, right? Jesus's holiness and purity transferred to him. This man and his leprosy was the embodiment of death. Uh, he's what a New Testament scholar Matthew Thiessen calls the walking dead. But Jesus, as the embodiment of the God of life, triumphs over death by healing him. His holiness does not break out and destroy the man, and neither is he forced to leave. Instead, the man is transformed. This story becomes then a foreshadowing of what Jesus would accomplish on the cross, and a, fulfill a fulfillment of what God spoke through his prophet Ezekiel centuries before. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Strangely, Jesus tells the guy not to say anything, but instead to go to the priests who would confirm that he was no longer a leper. Uh, he would offer the appropriate sacrifices required by the law of Moses, and then he would formally be allowed to re-enter into communal and religious life. In one sense, though, the man's transformation speaks for itself. Yeah, in Mark's uh, telling of the story, the man actually just flat out ignores Jesus' commands and begins telling everyone he can find what God had done for him. The second part of our passage tonight uh, in verses 14 through 17 forms a summary statement that expands Jesus' ministry of healing to the sick and demon-possessed. It is testimony to God's continuing willingness to heal all sorts of wounds. And it's likely that the reason so many people came to Jesus for healing was because of the testimony of the leper. At the end of the passage, the gospel writer reflects on these events and he sees in them another fulfillment of God's work or God's word in the Old Testament. Right? He took up our infirmities and he bore our diseases. God's Messiah would suffer with us. He enters into our pain. He does not stand back, but he stretches out his hand and places it on our shoulder. He comforts us. There is good news for us tonight, the first Sunday of the second lockdown of 2020. And the good news is this, Jesus wants to heal you. Jesus is the God who is ever willing to forgive you, to heal you, to bind up your wounds and show his tender compassion towards you. We are wounded people. We are broken and frail and burdened by shame and guilt. And we are in great need of Christ's mercy and grace. The journey of faith begins by confessing our need to Jesus. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I need you to heal my wounds. I need you to heal my anger, those feelings of worthlessness, of not being good enough. Right? Heal me from the pain of that broken relationship and the mistakes that I have made. Now, this healing can be instantaneous, like, like we read in the story. It, it can be a miraculous healing in the moment. You know, the, the tumor just disappears completely. The addiction just vanishes. And, and God does that sometimes, and we should celebrate that. But God's ministry of healing can also be slow, a long, daily process of healing. 
Each morning you spend in prayer is another treatment of, of Jesus doing a little more work on you. The cancer remains, but you know that God is present in your, in your suffering. You still uh, struggle with addiction, and at times you completely blow it. But you know now that there's no reason to hide and wallow in shame because God just can't wait to forgive you and show how much he loves you. Wherever you find yourself on this journey, whether you've started it or not, know this. God is faithful to his promises. Jesus is ever willing to heal you. And in the words of Psalm 147, he gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. You may be finished. So how does all of this relate to our series on witness and evangelism? First, if we want to be witnesses to Christ, we first have to witness Christ working in us. We have to have experienced that life transformation before we begin to explain it to others. We don't have to be perfect and we don't have to have uh, all the answers, you know, right? Wounds take time to heal, but we got to at least begin that journey towards healing. Take some time this week and maybe grab a pen and paper, still use that, uh, and jot down where you've seen God working in your life. Think about who you were two, five, maybe ten years ago. Think about what was troubling you then and what's troubling you now. And bring all of those thoughts in prayer to God. Second, what then does evangelism look like? It looks like letting God transform our wounds into witness and our scars into stories. The easiest way to tell someone about Jesus is to share with them what God has done in your life. If you are just a little vulnerable, if you simply share just a fraction of the pain, just a brief glimpse at your wounds and scars, people are going to see the work of Christ. They are going to notice and they are going to ask, could God love me like that? Very practically, you could follow the example of Sarah and others and record your faith story. And at the very least, uh, when your words fail you, you could just show the video of yourself sharing your faith story. Finally, part of our call as disciples is to become what Henry Nouwen calls a wounded healer. Like Jesus, we don't stand back, but we move towards others. We are willing to stretch out our hands and enter into their pain and woundedness. Evangelism is as much about telling our story as it is about listening to theirs. When we are present in the pain and suffering of others, we reflect the loving compassion of Jesus, who took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. In solidarity with them, we recognize our need for God's grace. And together, we can begin this journey of healing out of the desert of God-forsakenness and into the loving embrace of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.